We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. There was a strange moment during Jason Kenney's victory speech a few months ago. Now, friends, I have a message, another message, a message to those foreign-funded special interests who have been leading a campaign of economic sabotage against this great province, to the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, to the Tides Foundation, to Lead Now, to the David Suzuki Foundation, and to all of the others. Your days of pushing around Albertans with impunity just ended. With all of that talk about Rockefellers and economic sabotage, you'd think Kenny is talking about a conspiracy. That's because he kind of is. According to Kenny and a big chunk of the Canadian energy industry, Alberta is under attack. It's under attack by a shady cabal of foreign-funded radicals that are determined to landlock Canada's energy resources. And worse than that, they've been successful. Just like the Russian hackers and bots that some claim stole the 2016 American elections, Canadians are the victims of nefarious foreign actors working against our interests. Except this time, those foreign actors, they're the Americans. But Kenny, oh no, he's not going to stand for this. Alberta is going to war. a public inquiry into the foreign source of funds behind the campaign to landlock Alberta's energy. And uh, we will ban foreign money from our politics and use every legal tool at our disposal to defend the working women and men of Alberta. Kenny has promised to open a $30 million war room to fight against all of it. Now, you all know that I love a good conspiracy, and by the end of this episode, I'll tell you all about a great one. But is there really an American-funded conspiracy to landlock Alberta's oil? Nah. Usually when we're talking about conspiracies, big oil is inside the shadowy cabal, not the victim of it. But not so in the Canadian imagination. Oh no, here we've convinced ourselves that it's the big bad environmentalists who have been conspiring in back rooms to destroy Canada's economy. Why can't we build pipelines? It's tides. Job losses in Alberta? Blame the Rockefellers. The story goes that American foundations have successfully blocked pipelines in order to landlock Canadian oil in the name of economic nationalism. And that conspiracy, that story, has been picked up by conservative politicians and oil lobbyists to justify almost any attack on Canadian environmentalists. People who were once considered political opponents are now attacked as traitors to their own country. And arms of the government are now being used to further the interests of private companies and to stifle the political activity of their own citizens.
I'm Archie Mann, and from Canada Land, this is Commons. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. So over here at CanadaLand, we've realized that we really haven't been asking you folks, our great listeners, to get the word out about the show. We put this out for free, and honestly, we're pretty proud of the work that we do, and we would love more people, as many people as possible, to be listening to the show. So if you're a fan, if you like what we do, share this on social media, put in an iTunes review, tell somebody who you think would like this show about us, and help us spread the word. Thanks so much. The Rockefellers were the original oil barons. Gushing oil, America's black gold, was the foundation of his empire. John D. Rockefeller built his first refinery when he was only 24 years old. He went on to become the world's first billionaire. One of his favorite customs was donating dimes to encourage thrift. The Rockefellers are still rich and still donating money. Only now they're trying to stop fossil fuels from destroying the environment. And the Alberta oil sands are their big target. It's a compelling story. And the interesting thing about the foreign-funded conspiracy narrative is that a lot of the facts are undisputed. But you know what else is true? Jet fuel actually can't melt steel beams. But that doesn't mean September 11th was an inside job. Please don't send me any links to weird YouTube videos. But before we get derailed into a 9-11 conspiracy show, let's just lay out what the details of this whole story are. And for that, we first have to turn to Vivian Krauss. She's the writer and researcher credited with bringing this subject to the public's attention. I'm a resident of North Vancouver. I have a Master's of Science degree in nutrition, and I worked most of my years with the United Nations Children's Fund, six years in Guatemala and five in Indonesia. That's Krauss speaking to a parliamentary committee in 2010. And here's the story as she tells it. Back in the 2000s, Krauss was doing work for the Canadian farmed salmon industry, and she was going through IRS records. And she soon discovered millions of dollars flowing from big American foundations to Canadian environmental NGOs. On the American side are those big foundations, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, Pew Charitable Trusts, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, the Oak Foundation, and more. On the other side, Canadian groups like Lead Now, Greenpeace, EcoJustice, the David Suzuki Foundation, and really lots of other environmental groups. And what's their goal? I'll let Krauss take it from here. Here she is being interviewed by Jason Kenney, and yes, you heard that right. The backbone uh, industry of Alberta is practically broken yeah. because the province can't get a pipeline. Yeah. And sad to say, 
uh, this didn't happen for no reason. This was planned, and it was planned as part of a Rockefeller-funded campaign to landlock Canadian crude. It was called the Tar Sands Campaign, and it was indeed a real thing. And they worked on a lot of good things, you know, uh, energy efficiency, getting more kilometers out of every barrel. They're doing a lot of good stuff. But part of their strategy is to try and shift investment capital away from fossil fuels, and they've used Canada as the whipping boy. Here's Krauss again speaking to the CBC's Wendy Mesley. Vivian, you say you have found a total of about $40 million from these American groups to over 100 Canadian environmental and First Nations groups here over the past decade. We, we haven't been able to corroborate all of that, but what we have been able to check out does line up pretty closely to your numbers. What's been the impact of all this American funding? This campaign has been devastating. Every single pipeline project has been sabotaged by this campaign. I would never suggest that individual Canadians are paid. They're all, you know, people sign online petitions and go to protests uh, based on their own, own, own decisions. But behind the protests are paid organizers. That's what's new. That's what's different about activism today, is that it's orchestrated. And Krauss has some research to back up her claims. By digging through IRS records, she's found about $40 million that's gone to Canadian environmental groups to fight against the tar sands. Because of her research, Krauss is now a star in pro-oil development circles. She regularly writes for national publications, makes speeches throughout the country, and is very active on social media. And she's helped make the issue of foreign-funded environmentalists a cause celeb amongst Canadian conservatives. And one of the earliest converts was Harper-era Natural Resources Minister Joe Oliver. In a scathing letter he released today, the Minister of Natural Resources warned that the existing laws are being hijacked, his words, by foreign-backed environmental and other radical groups. Well, there are some groups in the United States that, that do have that view, and they're sending money uh, into Canada, and they're trying to, uh, to game the system. So what's wrong with this picture? Quite a lot. It's now become a kind of gospel amongst many conservative politicians and pundits that the reason pipelines haven't been built in Canada is because of this American-funded campaign. When you report on these stories on a regular basis, whether it's Trans Mountain expansion to the West Coast, whether it's Keystone XL down to the U.S., whether it's Line 3, which is a replacement project, Energy East, a canceled project that was going to go through Ontario and Quebec out to the Maritimes, when you report on these projects on a regular basis, you quickly learn how complex they are. And what becomes quickly apparent is that the projects are not delayed or canceled because of activism or because there's been this tar sand campaign. That's Markham Hislop, and he's a longtime energy journalist. He specialized at energy media in the intersection between the existing fossil fuel economy and the emerging low carbon economy. We often are in the middle of debates with the, uh, the green critics on the one side and the industry critics on the other side, but it's fun standing in the middle of the road. You get hit by cars coming on both sides. Let's take Energy East. That was a proposed pipeline that would have gone from Alberta all the way to St. John, New Brunswick. Was it American-funded environmentalists that killed that pipeline? Energy East was basically withdrawn by TransCanada because Donald Trump put Keystone XL back on the table. TransCanada was the proponent for both Energy East and Keystone XL, and they, couldn't ha they didn't have enough oil from shippers 
to fill two big pipelines. So basically, the company had to pick one or the other. So, you know, that what does that have to do with pipeline activists? It has nothing to do. It's basic economics and basic business. Or how about the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which was just approved by the federal government last week? The American-led conspiracy was apparently so effective that the Trudeau liberals actually bought a pipeline. And why was it delayed in the first place? Well, you can thank a federal court for that. And the numbers around this narrative just don't add up. Hislop recently interviewed a lot of the activists who are alleged by pro-oil development folks to have been part of this Rockefeller Brothers-funded conspiracy. And what he found is that the amount of American money that went to Canadian environmental NGOs made up a small fraction of their budgets. We should talk about the the number. So the number is $40 million over 10 years from the foundations to the Tar Sands campaign. The Tar Sands campaign was mainly put together to, to funnel U.S. foundation money in, but it only accounted for maybe 10 or 15 percent of all of the uh, donations that were given to the anti-pipeline Engos. Did you hear that? Even at the height of the so-called Tar Sands campaign, American foundations made up at most about 15 percent of the funding. And this is the great irony here, is that in fact the bulk of the funding came from Canadians, not from Americans. For small NGOs like West Coast Law, those American dollars would make up around 10% of their funds. And for big groups like Greenpeace Canada, it was around 2% max. The rest of that money that was being provided was given by Canadian foundations, Canadian individuals, Canadian corporations. So the enemy, from Vivian's point of view, the enemy is not them. The enemy is us. It was her fellow Canadians who were actually funding all of this activism that she said caused all this chaos and and led to cancellation of pipeline projects. But here's what's even more interesting. All of that money, as little as it is in the grand scheme of things, began to dry up the day Rachel Notley was elected. But after Rachel Notley, the NDP premier from 2015 till recently, after she introduced the climate leadership plan in November of 2015, and you'll probably remember that the climate leadership plan introduced carbon pricing, both uh, province-wide and for industrial emitters. It brought in methane emission reduction, phasing out coal power, all of it. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Once that climate leadership plan was out, the American Foundation said, well, you know what? That's really what we were looking for was better policy. We're going to take our money and go spend it somewhere else. In 2016, the money distributed was cut in half. And today, it's less than a million dollars a year in total. I think it's important to emphasize here that these are environmental groups we're talking about. Being skeptical of or outright opposing new oil and gas developments is kind of what they do. Markham Hislop asked Vivian Kreis for comment before he published his story about her. She told him she'd send answers to his questions, then never did. So we asked her weeks later if she had any comment on the same story. She asked us for more time, and we offered her an extra day, but she never replied. If she has anything more to add, we'll put it in the episode's webpage. In the last few years, this narrative has gone mainstream, largely thanks to credulous journalists. One of the people who Hislop spoke with was Tsipora Berman, one of Canada's most prominent environmentalists. Berman was involved with the infamous Tar Sands campaign. We were talking about numbers, and she said $40 million over 10 years, and I 
kind of hesitated a bit. And I said, Zipporah, that's only $4 million a year. It kind of seems like a pittance. And she kind of laughed and she said, yes, but we never wanted to talk about our money because we wanted to appear bigger than we really were. And I get that. If you're going up against oil companies that have market caps in the millions, even billions, it makes sense to try to overstate your own influence. And she said, but Markham, you're the first journalist in 10 years who's actually asked us how much money we were given. I think it's a major failure of journalism and news media in this country where we can ele- where a narrative can be elevated to that level and the reporters don't even ask the basic questions. And Hislop's also seen a shift in the way the industry itself responds to critics. So I've been an accredited journalist in Alberta for the 10 years since we started doing online media, and I've been accredited with CAP during all of that time. CAP is the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, the main industry lobby group. The uh, CAP president, Tim McMillan, went to an Edmonton Chamber of Commerce event where he was speaking early on in the election campaign, and he said... We have been targeted by foreign-funded activists. They have caused the cancellation or delay of pipeline projects, and we have lost tens of thousands of jobs as a result. So I went to CAP and I said, look, this is not accurate. I I want to interview Tim about this. And, And if you say this in public, then you should be, you have an obligation to provide backup to prove his allegations. Well, they refused to do that. They refused to make him available. They refused comment. And when I wouldn't let it go, when I kept insisting that I should get answers, they blackballed me. Here's the email that they sent. I saw your article of yesterday. As you indicated below, your criticism of CAP was noted. We perceive your lack of objectivity when it comes to CAP. As such, we see no value in engaging with you. And this narrative, the idea that American foundations have successfully landlocked Alberta's oil, has been weaponized by conservative politicians to attack critics of the energy industry. And a lot of Canadians are buying into it. Just go to Twitter, look up Tides Foundation, and you'll see dozens and dozens and dozens of tweets every day directly blaming them for the destruction of Alberta's economy. And people who are against pipelines are constantly accused of being funded by Tides or the Rockefellers. And before you ask, we are not, as far as I know, funded by Tides or the Rockefellers. But if any American foundations want to send a little cash our way, they're welcome to head over to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. It's about narrative. It's not about analysis. And I think that's the thing that became obvious to me, is that this is all about furthering the narrative of the Canadian oil and gas industry under attack and it needs to be defended. This month, Jason Kenney announced the launch of his new war room funded by Alberta taxpayers. It's going to cost $30 million. The energy war room will have a mandate to operate much more nimbly and much more quickly, with a higher risk tolerance, quite frankly, than is normally the case for government communications. There will be an app, there will be an advertising campaign, And there will be bureaucrats who will helpfully correct any misconceptions people on social media may have about Alberta's energy industry. As far as anybody can tell, it's basically a $30 million troll farm. So if Archie Mann or Jesse Brown decide, you know, you you send out a tweet and you say something nasty, 
about the oil sands, you know, some troll in the Alberta government is going to, you know, glom onto that and send you back uh, a rebuttal. And, and it's not the role of government. It just is flat out not the role of government to defend industry's interests in that way. And it's a very, as far as I'm concerned, it's a very, very bad use of taxpayers' dollars, especially at a time when the government's cutting back on education and healthcare and, and other areas. And besides the waste of money, there are more serious consequences. Sapora Berman, the environmentalist we talked about earlier, has gotten death threats regularly for years. Those started up again last month when Robbie Picard, the founder of Oil Sand Strong, introduced Kenny at that press conference we just heard from. I believe one of the biggest mistakes ever made in Alberta was hiring Sapora Berman to the Oil Sands Advisory Committee. But I have a copy of a resume here, and this resume is an entire career of bashing the industry and basically making her livelihood doing everything she can to undermine us. Berman said that she was immediately inundated with misogynist hatred online. As I said earlier, people who would have once been seen as political opponents are now being treated like saboteurs and traitors to their own country. And the conspiracy narrative is still spreading. Just this month, Andrew Wilkinson, the leader of the opposition BC Liberal Party, introduced a bill to go after foreign-funded political meddling. And he made it clear that what he meant was environmentalists. The conspiracy narrative doesn't just not actually explain why pipelines haven't been built in Canada. It also allows the oil and gas industry to dodge real and urgent questions about their practices. And it doesn't actually help the people who have been laid off in Alberta in any real way. Even if we had pipelines to Tidewater, the truth is that it's just more expensive to extract oil from bitumen than it is to frack it out of the ground in North Dakota or Texas. A $30 million war room doesn't change that. And there are a lot of Canadians who oppose pipelines or developing the oil sands for their own reasons. I mean, we're the country where Greenpeace was founded, after all. If you've been listening the last two seasons, you know that we here at Commons love a good conspiracy. So here's one that's unraveling right out in the open. On April 11th, at a hotel in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains, a day-long strategy session was held. The event was hosted by the Modern Miracle Network, a little-known pro-oil group. The CEOs of energy companies like Questair, Painted Pony, Perpetual, and Tourmaline Oil were all in attendance. And Tim McMillan, the head of the normally nonpartisan Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, was there too. Also in attendance at this secret meeting? Andrew Scheer, leader of the federal Conservatives, and his campaign manager, Hamish Marshall. The Globe and Mail got a leaked copy of the agenda, and the goal was explicitly political. Elect Andrew Scheer prime minister. But also, they discussed using litigation as a tool to quell environmental critics. In other words, sue the bastards until they shut up. Andrew Scheer has committed to ending foreign-funded interference in the pipeline debates. So here, we've got a bunch of wealthy people secretly meeting at a mountainside retreat with prominent politicians talking about how they can make more money by getting their guy elected and suing environmental charities. Sounds like a much more compelling conspiracy, if you ask me.
That's your episode of Commons for the week. This episode relied on reporting done by Markham Hislop, Samantha Beattie of HuffPost, and Jeff Lewis of The Globe and Mail. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CanadaLandCommons, that's C-M-N-S. You can also email me, arshi at CanadaLandShow.com. This episode was produced by myself and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. And our music is by Kevin Sexton and Nathan Burley. We're taking the next episode off, but we'll be back with more Crude in a month. If you like what we do, please help us make this show. You can support us and get ad-free podcasts by going to patreon.com slash CanadaLand.